0: Our Bible passage this morning is the message that was sent to the church at Sardis, as we have it in Revelation chapter 3. So open your Bibles in whatever form you have them with you today to chapter 3 of Revelation and we'll be reading verses 1 to 6. Revelation 3, 1 to 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I'll come against you. Yet, you have still a few names at Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches this is the word of the lord
1: well please keep your bibles open there to uh, that particular passage uh, good to see you all for those of you who may uh, only been here for today for the first time or may not have uh, met me th- yet i'm one of the pastoral team here as well my name is duncan and it's great to have you here as part of north pine church this morning Let's pray as we uh, begin to uh, uh, ponder on this passage this morning before us in Revelation 3. Our gracious God, we uh, want to uh, first and foremost come before you, Lord, in humility, knowing that, uh, Lord, although we have, um, I guess in many ways, Lord, uh the intelligence and the capacity in order to be able to read these words and things like that lord we really need your holy spirit to actually take these words your word your word of truth and really to apply it to our hearts lord in a way which we understand not just the uh, the surface meaning but very much the uh, the spiritual depth of what you're trying to teach us of uh, knowing that life is only found through faith in Jesus Christ and as we uh, look to him in all things. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that as we uh, look at this passage together, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that, Lord, that we would have hearts that are ready to receive your word and that as it falls on our hearts, that it would uh, fall on fertile soil, that it might produce a harvest a hundredfold. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a number of years ago, I, uh, um, by the way, we, uh, this is where we're at today. We're continuing on in our series uh, on The Church Has Mail. We're on the fifth uh, letter of the uh, seven letters to the churches, as we've just read the church in Sardis. Yes, um, probably going back about two or three years ago, I was down in Melbourne and we went along to uh, a particular uh, patisserie in, uh, in St Kilda. And uh, it was filled with, you know, this, the kind of shops you go in and it looks, it looks a little bit like this. Anyone ever been to one of those sort of shops before where you've got these wonderful glass cabinets that are just full with all these amazing treats and uh, sweet treats and delicacies and that sort of thing? Well, as we went into that place, I was uh, having a bit of a look at the uh, the cabinets and thinking, what on earth do you buy? I mean, with all this choice, what on, you know, one thing, can you pick one thing out of all of that? I mean, the chocolate stuff, the, the fruit stuff, the, the, uh, the cream stuff, all that sort of thing, you think, well, what do I settle on? Well, on that particular occasion, I decided that I'd settle on this, what looked like this amazing piece of lemon cheesecake. I mean, I've got a bit of a sweet tooth and I really love, I'm a bit partial to cheesecake. And so I decided on this. And so paper money purchase of cheesecake came in the bag, and we sort of went outside trying to find a place to sit down and uh, where we could sort of just start to, you know, really get into uh, this piece of cheesecake. Sat down there, opened the packet, dipped the fork in, and it just looked so beautiful and rich and creamy and lemony. And I was just waiting in anticipation, just sort of starting to, to salivate. As some of you are even salivating right now, aren't you? <laughs> yep, that's right and dipped it in and put it into my mouth, expecting this wonderful burst of of flavour and and delicacy, only to find that it was dry and tasteless and and really not very pleasant at all. I thought, how disappointing, how disappointing. It looks so good there in the cabinet, but then you open up your mouth and it just absolutely lets you down. Yes, you know what it's like, don't you? Some of you? Yeah, you know what? Yeah. Looks can be deceiving, can't they? Looks can be incredibly deceiving. And what looked from the outside to be something that was absolutely spectacular and amazing turned out to be a complete disappointment. A total disappointment. It looked so good, but ended up being so bad. It's a bit like the church we find here in Sardis today in our passage in Revelation 3. One to six. Jesus begins by saying that this particular church had a reputation of being alive, but in fact, they were dead. Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You are dead. It made me think of what sorts of things this particular church was doing that gave the impression that it was indeed, you know, alive to the people around about them? As people sort of looked at this church, they sort of saw it and thought, yeah, that's certainly a live church. What, is it, what was it that this church was doing that gave that impression, that gave them that particular reputation? I wonder, well, perhaps it was because of the, uh, the great attendance to, uh, to Sunday services. Here was a church that was able to, uh, to pull in uh, a great crowd, I wondered that, you know, whether or not it was, you know, as people walked past that church there in Sardis on a Sunday morning, did they hear, you know, voices booming out, songs of praise and that sort of thing like we've heard from, from our church this morning. People were really sort of getting into the, the praise and worship of God there. Maybe as they looked at the outside of the building, they saw that the building was quite impressive. It was a very impressive kind of church and, and particularly well looked after. There was lots of facilities and, uh, and, and, and quite, uh, you know, quite spectacular as the people looked at the building itself. Perhaps that gave the impression that the church was alive. Maybe it was the people who attended the church seemed particularly nice and quite charitable and that gave the impression to the people around them that this was a church that was really alive. Perhaps there were lots of ministries being run by the church, ladies and men's groups, youth groups, Sunday school, all those sorts of things. Perhaps to the everyday citizen of Sardis, this church looked like a normal church doing normal church stuff. Maybe that's what gave the impression that that church was a church that was alive. But as Jesus says, it was a church that had a reputation of being alive, but in His or from His perspective. It was indeed a dead church. In fact, the church of the living dead, or what we might refer to today as the zombie church. Yeah, the zombie church. There you go, kids. There's a hashtag for you today. Sardis zombie church. I wonder, though, how would you measure the the, the aliveness of a church? How would you go about measuring those sorts of things? What, what what, what, What things do you think would give a church in our city a reputation for being alive would it be the great worship music would it be that they've got you know talented and gifted preachers and teachers would it be that they've got a, you know quite impressive facilities or bulging ministries that the car park on a sunday for their multiple services is always full and overflowing That there's always a big crowd that goes along I mean, do these things point to a church that is alive? Well, they could, certainly they could do that. But however, these things could also give a very false impression. I wonder, do you remember the, uh, the words that Jesus had to say to the leaders of his day, the Pharisees in Matthew 23? Here were the religious leaders, very, very pious and religious in all their doings. But he called them whitewashed tombs. He said, they look really impressive and righteous on the outside... But on the inside, they were dead. They were full of dead man's bones, hypocrisy and lawlessness. Or do you remember the fig tree that Jesus cursed in Matthew 21, where he says, from a distance, it looked like it should have been full of fruit. Here, as he is walking along with his disciples, he sees this fig tree in the distance, looking all wonderful and green and full of leaves and that sort of stuff. But as he comes up close, he discovers that it has no fruit at all. It was it promised so much but in many ways just let you down because there was no fruit. It's interesting what we discover in these opening words to the letter of, to, to the church in Sardis is that it is very possible for a church to look healthy to those on the outside and even to, to some on the inside, and yet to Jesus that church can be dead. He sees it as being a dead church. The same can be said about people who call themselves Christians. They can outwardly present the picture that they are quite religious and, and spiritual and, and Christian, when in fact that is not what Jesus would say about them at all. And the actual question for me that arises from this particular assessment of Jesus is this, is why did Jesus consider this church to be dead when all around people were th- thought it was alive? Why did Jesus consider it to be dead? Well, as you read through the passage, the simple answer is we're actually not really sure because then you know Jesus does not actually specifically identify the cause of the problem here in this passage. It does not appear that this church has been infiltrated by false doctrine as some of the other churches. Uh, Jesus does not mention issues with sexual immorality or idolatry like the church we saw last week with Thyatira. Nor does he speak of a lack of love or faithfulness, like the church in Ephesus. And yet Jesus is quite clear that this church is in serious trouble. Well... As we look at the passage, although they're not specifically stated, I think that the passage gives us a number of clues in the things that uh, that Jesus says they need to address which actually point to why he sees it as being a dead church. So we're going to look at those together this morning and I'm going to identify three specific things or three clues that we pick up from the passage. And the first is found in verse 2 where Jesus says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Jesus says to this church, wake up. Wake up. Now, who do you tell to wake up? People who are asleep. So it would appear that this church is in this this state of spiritual slumber, if you like this spiritual uh, state of, of sleep. And, and the church of Sardis, it's interesting, in many ways it kind of it mirrored the city of Sardis, which itself had an interesting history. In its heyday, the city of, of Sardis was one of the most spectacular cities in the region. It was situated on, on several major trade routes and therefore it was a very big commercial centre and an incredibly wealthy centre. And one of its early leaders was a man named Croesus, who had the reputation of being one of the wealthiest people in the world. In fact, there was a well-known saying in that particular day about those who were well-off, they were said to be as rich as Croesus. We might consider Croesus today to be the modern-day Bill Gates or the Jeff Bezos or or someone like that. Although the city had been influential and popular in its day and was uh, was incredibly wealthy in its day, when we come to this particular point where this letter is being written to it, the city is only a shell of what it used to be. It had once had a reputation for being alive, but now the city was anything but. Instead, in a sense, it was kind of living on past glories. And that's one way that the churches can sort of today really sort of get into this spiritual state of slumber is that we're constantly living in the past and constantly celebrating the stuff that happened in the past, but forgetting about the future and what we're all about now. Another aspect that the city was well known for was its military might. Due to its location, the the city itself was was perched on this huge, big, rocky promontory and, and the city had only access from one side, which meant that it was almost possible for an enemy to actually invade it and defeat it. It was surrounded by steep cliffs on, on three sides, and as I said, the only access was this was this tiny, narrow stretch of land on the southern side of the city, and so the people of the city thought it was really easily defendable. All they needed to worry about was this narrow s- strip of land, and even a very, very small army could certainly protect that. But of course, during the... Uh, uh, because the... the uh, we'll call them the Sardisians. It sounds a bit like the Cardassians, but the, we'll call them the Sardisians considered it was impossible to scale those cliffs. And so because they thought it impossible for those cliffs to be, start, to be scaled, they didn't even worry about watching that, that, that particular area. And as it turned out, in the course of its history, invading armies twice scaled those cliffs and defeated the city. And what that points to me is that this uh, city had a, a reputation from being complacent. I wonder if that's exactly what the church was as well. The church was complacent and that complacency was not only the city's undoing but i think it was also the church's undoing that's why jesus says it's you need to wake up spiritual complacency can you read that it's a quote from a w tozer complacency is the deadly enemy of spiritual progress the contented soul is the stagnant soul That lack of spiritual watchfulness or vigilance and of living on past accomplishments can send the church into this state of spiritual complacency. And as I said, complacency poses a real threat to the spiritual lives of churches and Christians. It's been said that the most dangerous place for a Christian to be is comfortable. Because when we get comfortable, we get lazy. And when we get comfortable, we're hesitant to take risks. When we get comfortable, we, become, we start to become inward focused and, 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 and that leads to sometimes critical atti- attitudes and judgmental attitudes. And when we get comfortable, it's also easier to compromise and also when we get comfortable, it's very easy to fall asleep quickly. Compromise, comfortableness, complacency, all the C words, aren't they? But it's true that when we as a church, when we get comfortable, there is a real danger within that to our own spiritual growth and spiritual health, not just as individuals but as collectively as the church together. And all too quickly when we become complacent, the enemy can, can pounce and catch us unawares in our lives that he can break through our defences and cause untold damage through sin and through temptation. Jesus says that the remedy to this is to be alert, to wake up and to be alert. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Jesus, uh, we read the, uh, the words of Jesus through the Apostle Peter where he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Be alert, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And when we become complacent, when we become comfortable in our surroundings and in our situation, we become highlighted targets for the devil in order to be able to come and attack us in our lives. Matthew 26 and verse 41, Jesus praying with his disciples. They're in the garden there at Gethsemane, and Jesus says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knows what we're like in our fleshly humanity. That we can indeed be calm, complacent, and comfortable, and tired, and weary, and sleepy. And Jesus says we as as Christians say we need to be constantly alert, watchful and praying that we will indeed not fall into the temptations of the evil one. That we will not succumb to those temptations and fall into sin. That we will not become complacent and comfortable in our own spiritual lives. You know that we sit in the armchair so to speak. We pull the lever up, goes the footrest and we just lay back there and just take it all in. Someone who's comfortable is is someone who's not actively about being in the word of God. Someone who's not actively about spending time in prayer with the Lord day by day. Someone who's not actively involved in serving the Lord in some kind of capacity. But if we're just happy just to kind of just sit back to come along here on a Sunday to hear a message preached. You know, to think, oh, well, that's all right. I can tick that box this week. We're all good. I've got news for you. The devil has got you firmly in his sights. Jesus says, wake up. The first danger that he he points out is this danger of spiritual complacency. What we see in the church in Sardis this morning. Why Jesus says it is a church that has a reputation for being alive, but is in fact dead. The second clue is found in verse 3 where Jesus says, Remember then what you have received and heard and keep it. The danger, or the second danger that Jesus points out here, is a spiritual forgetfulness. That not only is it complacency, but a spiritual forgetfulness. Because it would seem that this church had forgotten or lost sight of the very foundations of their faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting the number of times in the New Testament we hear um, proclaimed through uh, the, the New Testament writings that the people needed to remember what they received, what they had heard, what they had been taught, and to follow that and to stick to it and practice it in their lives. First Corinthians fifteen, chapters uh, ver- sorry, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses one to four says, "Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received." in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved. That is, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless, of course, you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." Philippians 4.9, the Apostle Paul writes here, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. And another one, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1, where it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. Do you see that there is this emphasis on what these, these people had received through the teaching of the apostles, through the word of God, that they had to receive it, they learned it, they had to pull it into practice in their lives. And it would seem that the church in Sardis had forgotten these things. They'd gotten away from the truth. They'd gotten away from Christ. They'd gotten away from the things that they had heard, they'd received, they'd been taught. And as a consequence, they, had, they were no longer in Jesus' eyes an alive church, they were a dead church. And as followers of Jesus today, that is why we gather here on a Sunday to, to hear again proclaimed that faithful word of God, proclaimed from this pulpit, proclaimed from people's mouths, proclaimed in song, through prayer, whatever. We hear about it during the weeks in our connect groups as we meet with one another around coffee tables, in coffee shops, in people's homes. We're to we're to continually preach that word of God to one another, continually get out the gospel to one another so that we remember and we stand strong in that day by day by day. I wonder how you're going at the moment with your reading through the Bible in a year. Everyone going okay with that right now? Maybe a little bit behind? It's okay. Look, just make it as a a priority just to to try and to uh, just be in that word day by day, receiving that which, which God would have us uh, know his truth, the truth about him, his gospel message but mostly about his Savior and Son the Lord Jesus Christ. This church had forgotten what it had received and heard and been taught about Jesus and about his gospel. Now as I was thinking through this I was thinking you know through the week about you know this church, and how, you know, many in the church themselves would have thought that the church was going so well. People outside the church would have thought, well, wow, that's, that's a pretty good looking church. But Jesus says it is a dead church. And, you know, it got me thinking again, you know, I think it happens really, really easily that churches kind of, just kind of fall into this uh, complacency and this spiritual forgetfulness it happens when religious ritual becomes an end in itself where we just 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 doing religious stuff just for the sake of doing religious stuff we just get into the habit of just doing it and we don't even really give it much thought we also get uh, we also find that we 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 find ourselves in this state when learning stuff about christ becomes more important than actually knowing christ himself that yes, we're in the word of God and we're learning stuff about Jesus, we're learning stuff about God, but it's not actually then applied to our lives. You know, James writes in James chapter 1 and verse 22, do not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. You know, there can be a tendency today in churches where we, uh, we, we just know so much stuff about the Bible. We just know so much about God and about Jesus and about the gospel, but we don't actually really know Jesus personally and experientially in our lives. Also, We also find ourselves getting to this state when there is a a depending upon our own ability and resources rather than on the resources and power of God in our lives. When material things become more important than spiritual things, or when one is more concerned about what man thinks of us rather than what God thinks of us. And I think lastly, as we've just been talking about, I think we kind of find ourselves in this situation when we lose the conviction that the word of God is just that. It is the word of God, God himself. And when we start to treat this as just some kind of self-help book, thinking that we can pick and choose as to what we follow and what we believe and what we, you know, what we do in our lives and not allowing God himself to challenge us and rebuke us and to correct us and set us on the, the path of righteousness and holiness and doing what he says. Remedy again, Jesus says to this, is to repent And to get back to the truth of of the gospel and living by it. Jesus says, you know, that uh, as as he reads through here, he says, you know, after he says that they need to wake up, they need to remember what they've received and heard. He says, but you need to keep it and you need to repent. That word repent, by the way, is not just a, a feeling sorry in ourselves and a feeling guilty in ourselves and thinking that's enough. That repent is actually a confession. It's a admission before God and saying, God, I know that what I've done is wrong. And your way is right. And so I want to actually turn away from the stuff which I know is wrong and not good for me in my life and actually turn towards you and follow your ways. That's actually what repentance is all about. It's actually a turning around. It's a turning away from something, our sin, and turning towards something, turning towards God and his ways. I think sometimes as christians we too can mix up that repentance that repentant we think we've repented when we just feel a bit guilty and sorry for stuff in our lives and then just continue on doing the same stuff you know over and over again So two dangers that uh, we've seen so far spiritual complacency and spiritual forgetfulness. The last the last clue we find is found in verse 4 where it says yet you have still a few names in Sardis people who have not soiled their garments. The word soiled here actually means to be stained or polluted. It's interesting that garments in the uh, particularly uh, in in the Bible car- uh, uh, actually represent or symbolize a person's character. Colossians 3:12 says put on then like a garment as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. This church had become dead because it was filled with people who were living lives that were characterized not by godly characteristics but by unchrist-like virtues. I mean, they were doing religious deeds, perhaps, but they were predominantly ruled by their sinful flesh in their attitudes and their behaviours. You know, Romans 6.11 says, you know, for, uh, for the one who was a follower of Jesus, it says, "'Consider yourselves then dead to sin, "'but alive to God in Jesus Christ.'" sadly today for a number of Christians they've actually reversed that around and they consider themselves dead to God and alive to sin in their lives that's how they live they may not say that from their mouths they may not sort of you know think that in their minds but but the way the practically how they're living out their lives that's what it looks like dead to God and alive to sin and Jesus says for the Christian it needs to be the other way around it appears that this church was a church of nominal christians christians in name only they were church of fakes they called themselves christian but there was little difference between them and the world around about them it's interesting that uh this church there's no mention of uh, of any kind of persecution towards this church in this letter This church was getting it pretty easy where they were living and you've got to wonder whether or not they were getting it easy because of the fact that they just weren't a threat to those around about them. As one commentator noted, there is no friction where there is no motion. There is no friction where there is no motion. The people of Sardis probably saw the church, that is the, the people outside of the church, probably saw the church as a respectable group of people that were neither harmful or desirable that's an interesting uh, comment isn't it that they saw the church as 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 neither harmful nor desirable of course the remedy again jesus says is to heed the warning of christ remember that he is indeed coming as judge coming like a thief and it's interesting when jesus says i'm going to come like a thief he says i will come against you Jesus is going to come in judgment, bring his judgment on this particular church and on these believers because of the fact that they think that they're alive but in fact they're dead, that they are not living in the way that honors and glorifies Christ in their lives. They're not living in the, uh, in, the, in the knowledge of the truth of the gospel day by day. And Jesus again says that they need to repent and live in obedience. It's interesting as you read through this passage, thankfully, there is a glimmer of hope. And Jesus says that there were a few who were living as Jesus had called them to. He says, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. They are worthy. Jesus sees that there are those in this particular church, a very small number, a little remnant, if you like, who were indeed trusting in him, who were seeking to live holy lives that pleased and honour him day by day. And the promise for them is that they will be assured of a heavenly reward. They would be clothed in white garments. It's interesting, in that day, white garments were worn on several occasions. Firstly, they were worn at festive occasions where people would gather. There would be a big feast and a great joyful celebration. That's the thing, that people would come in the, these garments of white. And I think it's, that in itself, Jesus is pointing us to that wonderful celebration meal there in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where all his people, all his children, will one day be gathered dressed in white, as Revelation 7 reminds us gathered around the throne of God, victorious with Jesus, having, having stayed strong and firm through all of life to be one day brought together with him in that place, dressed in white. Also people were dressed in, in that day were dressed in white when uh, they were particularly from a Roman perspective there would be a, a wonderful military victory or military conquest and the people of the the, the the Roman victors would be paraded through the city in these white robes these wonderful uh, robes that sort of you know pro, um, projected to the people around them that these were indeed the conquerors and again it, it points us to the fact that with Jesus Christ, We will one day be with him. We will indeed be those conquerors with Christ, having through his strength and through his power and through his faithfulness and goodness to us would have brought us through and brought us finally to that place where we will be with himself forever and ever. Jesus goes on to say that he will not erase the name of these people from the book of life, pointing to the security of their eternal future. And that, again, is intensified by the fact that Jesus says that he will confess his name before my Father and his holy angels. See that in verse 5. In other words, Jesus says that I will affirm to the Father that you, will in- that you indeed belong to me, that you have endured. Matthew, it uh, points us back to Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, where Jesus says to his disciples, so everyone who acknowledges me before man, and I think that acknowledgement is not just a, uh, yes, Jesus is Lord through the word of mouth, but actually how we live our lives. That, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Some very sobering words, aren't they? You know, folks, Sardis appeared to be full of people who were playing at church. Really, that's what they were doing. They were just playing at church. It was just something that they was just, it was just tacked on to their their, their, their their day-to-day lives. They were going through the motions, but they had no spiritual vigor. They had no spiritual passion. They had no spiritual power. And it shows us that Jesus sees things for what they really are and will indeed hold us to account. Jesus is referred to here as the one who, uh, it says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That seven spirits of God is speaking to indeed the the, 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 the Holy Spirit, the the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus indeed has the the Spirit. And if you go over the page to Revelation 5, you'll see in Revelation 5 to 6 a reference to this this sevenfold Spirit of God. And it says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, this is Jesus, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Jesus' spirit is out today, and out and about in all of the earth with that spiritual perception and vision, seeing all that is going on, not just from a surface perspective, but within the hearts of people. And Jesus is able to, peer, to have that piercing gaze of Him through His Holy Spirit, looking into the, the very hearts of each and every one of us today. And, you know, we might be able to profess and we might be able to sort of present from an outward perspective that we look alive, spiritually alive. But Jesus, as He looks at our hearts, it may be that Jesus says, You have a reputation for being alive, but you are in fact dead. And that today, folks, needs to ring you know loudly in our minds what does jesus see when he sees us today as we sit here in these seats as we sit here and you know before the 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 the, the, the spirit of god who sees all things what does jesus see about us does he see someone who is indeed spiritually alive to him who has been spiritually reborn, who has come before the Saviour Jesus and acknowledged their sin, acknowledged the fact that they need a Saviour to save them from the coming wrath of God in his judgment, who need to come before him and bow before him, fall on our knees before the Saviour and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to, to, to cleanse me from my sins. And I acknowledge that you died in my place on the cross there for me and that through faith in you, all my sins can be, can be cleansed completely, past, present and future. And then to say to the Lord Jesus, having saved us, Lord, I am yours. I am yours. And my desire is to follow you and to love you and to serve you with every fibre of my being. God still loved the church at Sardis, even though it was, in many ways, a dead church. Why can we say that? Because if Jesus didn't love the church, he wouldn't have written this letter in the first place to the church. So wherever we're at spiritually this morning, whether or not we feel as though, you know what, yes, we're okay. We've, we, we are definitely spiritually alive in our hearts towards Jesus. And we're trying to, you know, to live in a way which honours him and pleases him. But Jesus says, you know, praise God. And Jesus says, you know, the words to us that one day you will walk with me in white because you are indeed worthy in my name. But to us this morning who maybe just be sitting here thinking, wow, maybe that's me Jesus is speaking to today. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaking in my heart. And, and maybe for a long time I felt as though I was alive. I've just been playing at church, going through the motions. Jesus says today's the day where you stop being the zombie and you turn in repentance and trust and faith towards him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I confess, I repent of my sin and I turn towards you. Wherever we're at spiritually, we can say, Lord, Do your work in me. Wake me up. Stir me up to love you and to serve you so that the world will know that I belong to you. And may we today not be the church of the living dead, but instead be the church of the living Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we we come before you now and Lord, we... uh, We read those words in verse 6. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And today we need to say, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to us. To us, not just as the church here at North Pine, North Pine Baptist Church, but to each of us as individuals. We pray this morning, Lord, that we will indeed not just have a reputation of being alive, but that we will indeed be a church that is full of life in the spirit and power of God. That we as your people, Lord Jesus, will be people who are completely surrendered to you and yes we will we will get things wrong and we will fall into sin but 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 when we recognize that we will we will quickly seek to to come before you and confess that and, and 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 repent and and turn back towards you again lord that is how you call us to live day by day through faith and trust in you pray that we would be those people and pray lord that we would be a people who are not spiritually complacent in our lives but Lord, that we are not spiritually forgetful, and that Lord, we are a church that uh, that is not, you know, in danger of uh, of um, of uh, Lord just being uh, um, a fake. But instead, Lord, that we are the genuine thing in Jesus' name. Amen.